This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome, guys, to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm super excited. We have Patrick fresh off the road. He's in the studio <laughs> once again. Whirlwind of life, huh? Yep, back in the hot seat, ready to do some more podcasting, though. We, we have full-time lives and jobs and mm-hmm. families, so it's still awesome to get to sit down, do these episodes, get into topics, that, and meet people we'd never get to meet, right? Exactly. That's the best part, is meeting people you would never otherwise run into, so... Today is no exception. So it's a it's a privilege to introduce a true Renaissance outdoorsman, a passionate advocate of faith and nature, Pete Rogers, with a background that seamlessly blends education, spirituality, and a deep love for the great outdoors. Pete is synonymous with storytelling, inspiration, and connection. A graduate of the University of South Carolina, a holder of a master's degree in divinity, Pete's journey is a testament to the power of determination. He's not only found his voice but has become an acclaimed keynote speaker, outdoor writer, author, and host of the Christian Outdoor Podcast. Through his podcast, Pete merges his passion, a profound love of Christ, and a beauty of nature. The Christian Outdoor Podcast ranked among the top best Christian podcasts for 2022. It resonates with over 1.5 million subscribers worldwide, reflecting Pete's unique ability to guide us in enjoying God in every day. From hunting, fishing, and hiking, and camping, Pete immerses himself in the marvels of God's creation. Today, we're honored to have Pete Rogers join us, ready to share his journey and passion. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the show. show. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me very much. What an introduction, man. I feel I, I got a lot to live up to after reading that. <laughs> Good. You should. It's very, very humbling. Very well, humbling. It's well, really great to be here, though. If you weren't nervous beforehand, you are now, right? Oh, very much so. Yeah, very much so. You'd think after doing this so long, you wouldn't get nervous, but you still do a little bit. It is a little harder to sit in that seat than it is this one. I will say that. <laughs> it really is. It is. It is. Yes, it is. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about your background and your journey and kind of how you got to where you are now. That would be awesome. Okay. Well, this is an hour podcast, right? So how much time do I have? <laughs> Cliff Notes uh, version. Uh, it, Cliff Notes. It, it's been quite a ride. God has really led me in ways I never anticipated going from years ago. And one of the things I like to share when asked that question is when I was a developing young man, puberty and teenager and so forth, I have a very severe speech impediment. And to the point I couldn't speak at all out loud. And I definitely couldn't read out loud. I could read but I couldn't read out loud. And it was it was very debilitating to the point where, you know, you're just, you stutter so badly that no one wants to have conversation with you. So you're kind of ostracized. This is bad before we labeled bullying, bullying, right? You just, this is just what it was. And it was so bad. Just a little funny sidebar here is I played football in high school and I was a quarterback, but I couldn't call the plays in the huddle. <laughs> so our coach would send in players after every play and they would call the play in the huddle. And then one of the running backs would do the, I couldn't even do down set hut or any of that because there was a lot going on. I was nervous. And so all that would happen and I would just run the play. It's been interesting that I started there and now I make my living 
as a podcaster and a keynote speaker and how God has brought me there and all the all the things that he has done to enable me to get there is really just a testament of, of his grace and his power. It's not it's not anything that Pete has done. And yeah, I went to speech therapist and I learned techniques and, and learned certain ways of not overcoming, more of masking and being able to do things. Obviously, I'm speaking now without y'all don't hear the stutter, but I feel it and I and I I hear it in myself and I see that when I'm editing my shows, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It takes me forever to edit my shows, trying to cut all that out so people don't hear it. But but yeah, so that's that's part of that. And then a lot of people, you know, I wish I could point to this was the this was what made me decide I wanted to do it, but I didn't. I didn't grow up in an outdoor household. My dad didn't hunt. He played golf. He I mean, never went hunting or fishing with my dad and my grandfathers were both deceased before I was born. So I didn't have an outdoor mentor. It was Ted Carasote and Jim Zumbo and and uh, Terry Madewell and Jim Cassida and and reading these guys in these magazines are the ones that instilled the fire in me to want to. Oh man, I want to go do that. I want to go chase that critter. I want to go. I want to go fly in and fish on these Canadian lakes with the fish have never seen a lure before. I, I want, it just lit a fire in me to. You know, I had a friend tell me one time that the, he said, "Pete, the good Lord blessed you with too much drive and ambition." Uh, my wife says I'm bullheaded and a workaholic, but I'm going to go with too much driving ambition. <laughs> I, like, I like that better. <laughs> but anyway, so I just started back in the old days, and we actually wrote on paper with a, a Smith Corona electric typewriter. I typed the story out, put an envelope, and stamp, mail it off to Field and Stream or Deer and Deer Hunting or Peterson's Hunting and wait six weeks for a no. And kept doing that and kept doing that until finally you get a yes. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I just kept persistent. I was very persistent and very, again, bullheaded or a lot of drive and said, this is something I want to do. And, and uh, it just started building, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, just chip away, chip away. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to publish 1500 plus articles in different magazines and newspapers and websites all across, you know, everywhere. And it's, it's been a great ride, six books now and more, more in the works. And it's been great. And then I started the podcast as if I didn't have enough going on. <laughs> so tell us, what, right. why did you start the podcast? Well, being involved in the, in the outdoor industry, and you guys are, so you know this, that I was fortunate to meet a lot of people in the industry. You know, what you, People call them personalities or celebrities, whatever. Just meet a lot of people. And I, and I noticed that they were people of faith also. And the overwhelming majority are very devout Christians and, and, and are vocal about it off camera and out of the interview. Because you can't publish that. You can't publish their testimony in Peterson's Hunting or in Deer and Deer Hunting or in Field and Stream. They won't publish it. And you can't show it on Outdoor Television or Sportsman's Channel or any of those. They're not allowed to show that. They didn't have a platform. And I knew I had this deep passion for the outdoors and this passion for for, for Jesus, how could I bring that together? And I was attending a, a POMA conference. You know what POMA is? Professional Outdoor Media Association. It's like a national content creators organization. We'll talk more about that offline. But I was attending one of their conferences years ago. I was getting an award there, so I was there, and they had a seminar on podcasting. I'm like, huh, what is that? Well, I went in there and sat in the seminar and said, I like that idea. I like that idea right there. This was in 2017, maybe, 2018, somewhere in there. And so I, being a little type A personality in this, I, I researched it. I researched, researched, researched. I listened to hundreds of hours of podcasts on 
how to be a podcaster. And that was, I don't know if you ever, if you guys are podcasters and you listen to podcasts. Have you seen how many podcasts there are on how to do a podcast? <laughs> there's a lot. It's, there's a lot. <laughs> so I've listened to all of them and all that, and all that data is starting to build in my brain. And, and I've prayed about it and prayed about it. God, if, if this is something else I need to, to add to my plate, I want to do it for you, but I want to impact sportsmen and women. I want to find a way to, to impact them because I, I just felt that's where I needed to be. And uh, working with my buddy who does all my promotional stuff and, and so forth, I was talking with him and said, Brian, I want to I want to do this podcast. I want to be faith-based and I want it to be outdoors. I want to talk about hunting and fishing and camping and backing and everything. And I also want to talk about Jesus. And he said, well, why don't you just call it Christian Outdoors? I said, you don't think that's too blatant? He said, why are you trying not? You Don't you want to be blatant? I said, well, sort of. He said, then just do that, and I'll build a logo, and we'll go with it. And I was like, okay. I recorded 10 episodes before I started. Started my released my first one October 1, 2019. And if I may go a little bit longer here on this, i got to give a really cool part of this. And you guys know, you start a podcast, you throw it out there, you don't have a clue who's listening, right? You go to the analytics, like, I had six downloads yesterday. Yes! You know, and then it's <laughs> 15. And then the next month, it's like, well, I only had 200 this month. So what am I doing wrong? And you just keep doing it. And it goes to 1,000. And I had gone from 20, October 2019 to August of 21. So almost two full years, getting ready to start my third year. And I was like, God, is this making any difference at all? Is it making any difference? So I'm up to about 15,000 a month, and, uh, which is good. Don't get me wrong, right? But I was still like, I put so much work into this. I'm a one-man show. I'm doing all this, still writing 100 stories a year, still working a full-time job. I got five kids. I got a wife. I got all this going on. Is this making this? So I went to my hunting cabin, which is two hours from here, a little off-grid cabin where I go and get away and sharpen my saw and stuff. And I'm just praying and fasting and saying, God, what do I need to go more Christian or more outdoors? Because I don't know that this combination is working. I'm just praying about it and praying about it. And, you know, I'm not one who says God said to me, boom, because I think people abuse that. All right. But I just felt in my spirit, keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. I got this. And that was in August of 21. And in October, so I, I'm starting my third season, fourth season, third season. I had 25,000 downloads. I was like, okay, that's not bad. November, it was 45,000. In December, it was 70. And in January of 22, uh, sorry, February of 22, I hit 100,000. I was like, oh my God. One year later, I hit a million. So I'm like, Oh my goodness. God has just, he just said, trust me, keep doing what you're doing. Trust me. I got this. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And it has just been amazing guys to see what God has done with Christian Outdoors. I'm just, I'm in my attic with my studio, right? And here in Taylor, South Carolina, and to think that one and a half million people have have heard our shows and we're getting 130,000 average downloads a month have had as much as 200,000. This year alone, we've added almost 900,000 just in 23. And please understand, I'm not bragging. That is strictly what God has done by me just talking to guys like you. Just David, you saw how I do the interview. I do it exactly for our passion for the outdoors and our passion for God. And that's and that's what we do. And it seems to be resonating with people and people are liking it. And, and I, just, I just give God all the credit for it. It's just been an amazing ride. It's still just, it's growing so fast, it's hard to keep up with it. It really is. But I, but I just praise God for that. 
That's really cool to hear that your journey in that, because it is hard as a podcaster when you first start off because yeah, you get six downloads and you're like, Oh, cool. Six people, <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> as it starts to grow, you're like, wow, there's more and more people listening to this. And it's, it's pretty cool to watch. We actually started one month after you, we started November of 2019. And okay. so very similar time frame, right before COVID shut everything down and kind of an yeah. interesting time for us. Cause we had to learn how to do all the stuff that we hadn't learned how to do, you know, on the editing and all that. But I did want to transition over to, you know, your schooling, your education background, because a master of divinity is a big deal, in my opinion. So just kind of tell me why you chose to go that direction with your education and kind of what all that entailed. All right. Well, it was going back to early teenage years when I was really struggling with my speaking and stuff is when I felt God calling me into ministry. And God and I had a lot of pretty hard talks about that. I said, God, this ain't funny. I'm using bad Southern grammar here so you can understand how I was thinking. This isn't funny because you know I can't speak. And I feel like you're calling me into ministry. And this is, and we had some really hard discussions there. And, and, but again, bullheaded, I said, well, if this is where you're leading, this is where I'm going to go. So I went to the University of South Carolina, finished my undergraduate, and I went to Erskine Theological Seminary right down the road here And because I believe that if you're going to be speaking in front of people and leading people to God, you need all the education you can, that you need to know what you're talking about. And I always took the, the opinion, guys, um, that if I'm standing in front of people and I'm proclaiming, thus says the Lord, um, there's no excuse for being underprepared, none. And so... Because somebody's sitting there, you have the opportunity to turn them off of God as much as turn them on. And I don't want somebody's eternity on my hands for being unprepared. And so I felt like that I needed that education in order to to get a full grasp of of everything theologically, biblically, spiritually, everything. And it was a great experience for Pete. This seminary I went to is a very small seminary here. It's Associate Reformed Presbyterian, very small denomination. But in my class, right, we had probably 25 people in my class, and you, you stay together for three years. It's 90 hours that you have to go. We had Episcopalians and Church of God and Primitive Baptists and Independent Baptists and Southern Baptists and Methodists and Evangelical Presbyterians, blah, 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 all, all these denominations in one room, which is really cool because now you better know what you think you believe, but you're going to be challenged. These guys are going to be, everybody is challenging each other, not in, a, in, in an aggressive way, but what do you mean by that? I, when I read the scripture, I see this and you read it, you see that. And you have to figure out where you are. And, and it was a really great experience for me. I know I went in thinking one thing, came out believing something else. Better, not different. And one of the things I love about Erskine, I'm giving them a quick plug, is it's the only seminary that still requires a Bible exam to graduate, right? You have to pass a biblical knowledge exam to graduate. And I'm thinking, you know, I've been three years of seminary. You better know what chapter in Ezra this came from because you're going to get a question on it. Oh my goodness. But it, it, it was a great experience. So the reason I went was because I actually served as a pastor for 12 years in the United Methodist church. Well, I won't go into what's happened to United Methodists where they just went through a big split and still are and stuff removed from there or moved myself out of there because of the direction the church was going. And also God was leading me in other directions. And so but I served as a local pastor for 12 years, and I, and I have now, now I just, I speak at churches a lot. But that's why I did it. And so the Master's of Divinity, what it is, is it's a, it's a graduate degree for in theology. There's actually a Master's of Theology and a Master's of Divinity. 
and the Masters of Divinity is more of a, but you get more of how to be a pastor in local church classes and training than you do of the high level theological stuff. Still did a lot of theology though. It was a really good experience. That's awesome. Yeah. So how has that background kind of led to the mission of Christian Outdoor Podcast? I mean, how does that help you achieve the mission of the podcast? What is the mission and how do you achieve it? Well, my mission is, as it says in my tagline, where we talk about all things outdoors and how to enjoy God every day. So during this process of going to seminary, I developed a, a love of reading theology. I like to read, and the definition of theology is the study of God. That's all it is the study of God. So I, I like to read people's theology. And in reading one day, I ran across the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was written by the Presbyterian Church in the 1600s in Scotland. And it's just a teaching tool that said, it was a question-answer style tool. It said, we're teaching people who are mostly members, 1600s, very uneducated people, teaching them about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the scriptures are, very basic, you know, 100 level this is what we believe. And so I was reading that, and the first question, and it's written in question answer, right? So here's the question, and the student would memorize the answer. The first question is, what is the chief end of mankind? In today's language, that would be, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? The answer is, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I read that, and said, that's a good Sunday school answer. I went to question two, and I was, wait a minute, whoa, 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 back up, Pete. And to enjoy Him forever, what does that mean? And I started pondering that deeply for days, weeks, to enjoy God forever. So does that mean after we die and get to heaven, we get to enjoy God? And I thought, no, forever has already started. It started when I was born. So now I'm thinking, am I enjoying God today, now? And I thought, I'll be honest, I don't think I am. I acknowledge God. I love God. I worship God. I fear God. I praise God. But do I enjoy Him? And I said, to, after deep, I said, no, I don't think I am. But I want to. I want to enjoy God, not just, you know, when things go my way, but every single day. So I started this in 2014. I started with the process of every morning waking up and saying, how can I enjoy God today? How can I enjoy God today? And I'd ask my kids, like I said, I have five children. We'd sit around the dinner table. I'd say, how did you enjoy God today? They're like, oh, Dad, come on. When I was at school, how did you enjoy God in algebra? Well, <laughs> you tell me. You know, how did you, you know, what kind of difference did you make? How did you do it? So I started driving that home to them because it was driving it home to me. How can, how can I enjoy God today in a way that, that, that just intensifies my relationship with him? And it has completely changed my life, guys. I became a better husband, a better father, a better follower of Christ, more passionate about my faith because I'm challenging myself every day to enjoy him. If the chief purpose of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, if that's the reason we're here, then why aren't we doing it? That's what I'm asking myself. You know, why are I doing that? Is my purpose just to go to work and to make some money to feed my family and get them educated and get them married off and then that's it and then I die and become worm food? Is that why? No, it's not. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And in doing that, I can have this impact on my family and on people around me that can help them to achieve that. So when I started Christian Outdoors, that was my driving point and to enjoy Him forever. So my tagline is is where we talk about all things outdoors and how to enjoy God every day. And that led to the last book I wrote. It's right there behind my head called, Do You Enjoy God? 
12 steps to enjoying God every day. And uh, it's available through my website. Me and Bay will talk about that later. But but it's all built to that. So that that is a driving force for me is, is how can we enjoy God? And by talking to people like David, like we did the other day, and others, I hear all these stories that people are doing that helps them to enjoy God every day. And they don't even realize it most of the time. I think it's cool you brought <laughs> up that statement because my kids do classical conversations, which is a homeschool curriculum, and that is their... I mean, that's like one of the basis of the whole curriculum is that exact statement. And so we hear that a lot at my house. So when you said that, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. But that's really, yeah, that is really cool. I want to ask about the speech impediment as far as kind of working through that and overcoming that. Because, I mean, you're hosting a podcast. Everything depends on your voice and your verbal communication and how you, your cadence and and tone and everything like that. So, and then of course, being, you know, a preacher and being in ministry, being a speaker, you have to use your voice to convey everything. So how did you work through that? Take, take us through a little bit about that. Cause I mean, that, that had to have been pretty challenging. It was, and it still is, but uh, I'll be 60 this year. So I've I've been working with it for quite a while, but I go into a lot of therapists, speech therapists helped, but then there was one, ironically, she happened to be my aunt, but she was assigned to my school and she was pulling me out. She said, Pete, let's see if we can work with this. And she identified certain consonant combinations that caused me the most trouble. And I'll explain that. I'll give you examples in a minute and I'll actually you what I'm talking about. And she identified certain word combinations that caused me to struggle. With a couple of years with her, what she taught me was like when I write something that I'm going to be speaking, it is written grammatically horrific. Okay. But it's a way that I can say it. There are certain words that is, this is the best word, but I can't say it. L-I-T-T-L-E is one of those. L's and T's together. I'm, you got nothing. Okay. It's just not going to happen. We'll be here a long time if you want that to happen. So I say small or tiny. I can't say the other word. I can't if I go real, take a breath, relax your mouth to say a single word, you lost. So what she taught me was, is I'm already thinking, I'm pointing the back of my head because it moves to the front, right? I'm already thinking two or three sentences ahead of what I want to say so I can start substituting words before I get there to see if I can say it. And the other thing that she did, which is probably the best technique, and most people don't notice it, except now that I'm telling you about it, I will insert what I term micro pauses between words, and it gives my mouth a restart. What you hear is me enunciating the words clearly, but what my mouth and my brain are doing is finishing the word before I start the next one so that I don't get stuck on starting the next one. Most stutterers get stuck at the beginning of the word. So if I can finish this word before I start the next one, then I don't have that slur, which we all do when we talk at normal speed. We don't put pauses between our words. So what I'm saying to myself is slow down, enunciate, pause. I'm saying that constantly in my head. Slow down, enunciate, pause. Don't go too fast or you'll get stuck. A lot of my sentence structures have to be where words don't start with the same consonant back to back. I'll give you a very slow example. Something we say in the South a lot here is, what would you like to do? That multiple W's, uh, we got nothing. 
because it's multiple W's, or where will we be going? You see how slow I had to do that? I can't do that in normal speech speed because we're going to be here forever. So what I've learned to do is to rewrite this sentence in my brain before I get there so that I don't say that. Where are we going? I can do it like that, right? I can use slang or what do you call it, a colloquialism, something that's unique to your area to get it out. But So Aunt Betty taught me avoid these words, if at all possible, that have LT combinations, avoid multiple Ws, avoid sentences that where the words begin with the same word, the same letter back-to-back, usually consonants. You don't really stutter on vowels. But back-to-back consonants, avoid those. So when I'm doing, like tomorrow night when I'm speaking up there, I'll have it completely memorized before I go. An hour speech I'll have completely memorized. I'll still have notes with me because I tend to taste rabbits, as podcasters do. <laughs> right, And it brings me back. I'll have it memorized. So when I would preach in the church, it would be completely memorized. My, my preach professor always said, sermon's not worth hearing until it's been preached ten times. Then you own it. It's become a part of you. You, you can feel it in yourself when you're presenting it to them. And he's like, it's not worth listening to you preach it 10 times. So go to your bathroom, go to your closet and preach it, preach it 10 times, get it memorized, get it into your heart and soul. And then you can tell them and not talk to them. So that's how I do it. I am glad you're here. I'm glad you overcome it. And I'm uh, hopefully somebody out there listening who suffers from the same affliction will be inspired to go, you know, I can get there. Something you and I have connected on, on on your podcast was trapping. You know, we talked a lot about mm-hmm. trapping and our enjoyment of it. I know that you, you've turned it into more than just, just a pastime. But what role does your faith play in your outdoor activities, hunting, fishing, trapping? And how do these experiences connect you with God? Well, it's like we said the other day, David, being, being in nature for Pete connects me with God in a unique way. Just seeing seeing his beauty everywhere seeing the, the detail that God put into everything. It's just so cool. Like you said earlier, I'm a, I do a lot of beaver trapping, right? So removing nuisance beavers that are flooding roads for the people that are listening is because they're damming up culverts and there's flooding roads and people can get hurt. So I remove the beavers and blow their dams up or tear them out or whatever. But I am still amazed. been doing this for a long time, even before I started working for the USDA, at how good they are at what they do. I mean, it's a rodent for crying out loud with legs that are two inches long, <laughs> you know, and they can, and they can cut down a tree overnight and peel it slicker, slick as it can be and put it into a dam and build dams better than humans can build. It's, it's amazing to me. And I see that every day because that's what I do for a living. And, and I'm just constantly marveling at how God created this animal to create an entire ecosystem. And they're and they're hardwired to do it. They're going to build dams. That's what they do. They don't know why. They're hardwired to do it. And they build this dam that creates a pond that gives ducks a place to live and turtles a place to live and fish, of course, and otters will then take it over and use it. They create an entire ecosystem. And then, you know, when I get to go 
sit in my deer stand here in South Carolina in August and it's 105 degrees and mosquitoes as big as blue jays are swarming all over you, y'all need to come do that sometime. Yeah. You're really you selling it. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in Alaska. I, I've experienced yeah, the mosquitoes, need... just not 105 degrees. Yeah, well, the mosquitoes stick to your sweat, so they can't get off. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds lovely. When are we? When am I coming? No, is that uh, next August? Okay. We'll set it up next right. August. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 brutal. I actually have portable fans in my stand that are blowing on me, literally. Little battery operated fans. I don't care if deer here. I gotta keep my skis off. The thermocells going. They're hanging on my hat, my vest. <laughs> so I love morning hunting. I know people are more successful in the afternoons and the evenings. But what I love about morning hunting is the quiet right before the first bird chirps. It gets so still, so quiet, and I'm just like, listen. And you can hear the breath of God easing through the trees. And then that first bird chirps. And when it does, it's like, okay, guys, we can all start talking now. you know. And then they start talking a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. And then the squirrels start scurrying around. You see the rays of sun come through the trees. And I am just in awe of that every time I see it, every time. And when I can get to go out west, I don't know if, David told you, Pat, but I drew an antelope and mule deer tag in Wyoming this year. And that, that different terrain and that different country from where I am and how God created all this and the different animals, it connects me to God. It does. It, it, it makes me feel so close to him. I think the epiphany in that was when I was hunting for moose in Alaska in the late 90s. I was sitting on top of a mountain, and I'm looking around up there, and nobody in camp knew where I was. I'm thinking, boy, I sure feel insignificant in all this. Looking at the glacier and the willows and the moose down there, and, and you know, I still feel really insignificant. And then I felt a tap on my shoulder. I said, no, no, you're not. That glacier's not made in my image. That moose isn't made in my image. These alders aren't made in my image. You're the only thing here that's made in my image. You're the most significant thing here. And I was like, whoa, that's heavy. It just came to me right there on that mountain. From then on, I'm like, as beautiful as all this is, and if the listeners listen to this and they're struggling with their identity and stuff, you remember this. You are the signature on God's masterpiece. As beautiful as creation is, you're made in his image. Nothing else is. And every time I get outdoors, guys, I, you know, if I'm on this lake in Canada fishing for northern pike, which is one of my favorite things to do in the world, then I'm like, listen to that loon, which is still one of my favorite sounds. Mm-hmm. I love to hear the loon in the north because I'm in the south. I don't ever get to hear that, right? I hear the loon on the lake and how quiet and peaceful it is and think, golly, God made this, this glacier lake and I get to enjoy it. And as great as this is, I'm still the most significant thing here. And I don't mean that arrogantly because we're made in God's image. Everybody is. One of my favorite things is early in the morning going fishing. That's more my deal. I, I like to fish and you know, hunting is just kind of a side hobby, but you know, when I'm out fishing and it's just before first light, the water is glass and you hear a Western metal lark start that, start that symphony, as I like to say, it's just Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful things that you hear. And it's just so beautiful to watch the sun come up and start to illuminate the landscape in front of you. And then you, there's times that I look at it and I think, man, how insignificant am I? Right. You know, just like you said, but then I'm glad you brought that up. We were made in his image. And we were like the signature last piece of that creation, right? The most important piece. And I just think it's really cool that you shared that. Because as you were sharing that, I was thinking about different times I've been on the water and just had that 
oh man, I cannot believe how beautiful this is and how amazing his handiwork is. It is. And I'm never get tired of it. So you talked about a book that you've written. Tell us a little bit more yeah. about some of the other books that you've written and some of the other things that you've worked on. Cause I'm, I'm definitely interested. So far I've got six books published. There's three of them right there and some more of them. That's the first one. Time's well spent was the first one, and it's right there. And the second edition is coming out in the spring. And it's a ramblings from a sportsman's life. It is um, just essays, little short essays of of experiences that I've had in outdoors. That masterpiece experience I was talking about is in that book. I talked about it in, in a lot more detail. And so is you know sitting around a campfire, what that's like with all the guys sitting around and and. I mean, you hear things around a campfire you don't hear anywhere else. I bet confession booths have not heard what's been said around a campfire, you know. But everybody knows it stays right there. You don't even have to say that. You don't have to say, guys, this is confidential. Every guy knows that. And and, and I talk about things like that. So it's a collection of essays. I think there's 22 in there, but the new edition will have 40. It's going to have some of these and then some extra ones in it as well. And then I wrote a book on turkey hunting. It was it's right there. It's called So You Wanna Hunt Turkeys. Because that's my passion. I love chasing that bird that makes me look foolish all the time. And it, it is it's more about why we hunt turkeys instead of how to hunt them. There are some how to's because people always like some how to's in there, but it's it's about why do we hunt turkeys? What is it about this bird that has gotten into the soul of so many people that makes them want to chase it? And and so that's that. That was actually the 2019 Outdoor Book of the Year. So I'm I'm pretty pleased with that one. It's hardback, dust jacket, high level book. I have an ebook called Planning Your First Out of State Hunt, and it's I listened to y'all's show yesterday of the last one you did before me. I think it was when you were talking about getting ready for hunting season and all those things that come out. And I thought that's in my book. That's in my book. That's in my book. Yeah. We're on the same page on a lot of that stuff, guys. On the same page. On so see, that. I'm not filling yeah. you full of, full of baloney all the time. <laughs> or maybe no, we're both no, filling not. everybody full of baloney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you mentioned the the bears the other day, though, that's got me thinking I might need to bring some bear spray with me when I come and that's not in there. So we'll talk about that afterwards. But uh, so there's that one. And then my first, Christian book is Do You Enjoy God? 12 Steps to Enjoying God Every Day. And that is, you know, I've already talked about that one. So it's a variety of different things. I enjoy, as I tell people, I write magazine stories. I write what sells so I can afford to write what I enjoy. Magazines don't publish essays anymore like they used to when we read Jack O'Connor and Jim Zumbo and, and all those great, you know, Elmer Keat, well, he was more of a gun writer, but you know, all these guys who, were, who took you to the mountaintop and you could see the sheep running across. The, they don't do that anymore. It's all little blurbs and bullet points and stuff. So that's what I like to write is more adventure and nostalgia and stuff. So that's what I put into my books. And I write the magazine stories so that they can pay me and then I can have the money to write the books. That's the books. And they're all available on my website or Amazon. You, know, you can get them on Amazon too. So. Take us through your podcast growth a little bit because, I mean, getting the award of being in the top 15 on Christian podcasts is a big deal. And I don't know if you could share just a little bit about that growth journey. I mean, you talked about it kind of briefly, but, you know, what do you think kind of contributed to that other than being faithful to what you were doing? Well, I, I wish I could point to one thing. I do. People ask me that a lot, especially other podcasters. Man, what have you done to make it grow so fast? I think. And I cannot go back and say, I made this change. Or I made that change. I've tried the video, the YouTube stuff, and it just costs. I don't have the time. Like I said, full-time job, and I do the writing, and 
and podcasting. And you guys know the show prep, recording, editing, you're five to 10 hours into every episode. You add video editing into it. You just doubled that. Right. And so I'm like, I'm already working too much as it is. I got too many irons in the fire. One more iron in the fire. But Patrick, I, I, I can't really point to one thing and say I did this and it started because it took off so fast. Like, I mean, it went, I, I gave you the numbers before how it, it quadrupled in one month and then it did it again. Then it did it again. And I do think, though, getting on Carbon TV helped me a lot. I went on Carbon TV December of last year. It was the first faith-based podcast on Carbon TV. And they have on their phone app, not on their television app, but on their phone app, they have a podcast icon, and it's just audio. If you watch it on TV, it has to be the video version. You can't you can't listen to podcasts on the TV. You can only do it through your phone or CarPlay in your car or something like that. But we were the first faith-based podcast on Carbon TV. I mean, we've, we've gained roughly 100,000 listeners just through Carbon TV. We haven't been on it a year yet. And so that helps because... I'm targeting outdoors people, outdoors men and women, right? That's my target audience. If they go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and they're looking for an outdoor one, well, as you know, there's 30 million podcasts out there. How are they going to find us? But on Carbon TV, it's outdoor people that have that app. So if they go to podcasts, actually we're right on the front page. If they open the podcast, that boom, there's Christian Outdoors. And they're like, oh, Christian Outdoors, what was that about? And then boom. Then I got David Merrill on there, and they're I got to listen to that. And <laughs> next thing you know, I got thirty thousand new listeners. <laughs> That's awesome. We had a we had a hoot the other day for sure, and I'm I mean I appreciated just the insights and and getting to be on your show was was definitely a privilege. Can you just tell us one of your favorite hunting stories? And and with that, the follow up question is: What's your favorite meat to procure, and how do you cook it? I need the recipe, so. Favorite hunting story. There's so many. You know, that's a hard one. I want to tell you one that where just about everything that could go wrong went wrong, and I still got my buck. It happened two times the same day, right? So, real quick, I'm hunting in Kentucky, late season muzzleloader, and I was with a men's ministry up there that's called Iron Man Outdoors, and they take men hunting, and then they, they spend some quality time with them to help them become better men of God and better fathers and husbands. But I was, I've gone several times. I've come really close to one of the guys that hosted up there. He's been on my podcast a lot, Chris Taylor. He's a pastor in Kentucky. But I was up there hunting, late season muzzleloader. It was right after the tornadoes went through Kentucky, about two years ago, 2019, 2020. I don't remember now. But it was cold. And I'm from South Carolina. December, sitting there in the stand, and I'm just sitting there just watching. We can bait in, in Kentucky and in South Carolina, too. So there was there was some food out there for him. I'm sitting there on this on this bluff looking down into a draw in the woods. I'm just sitting there in this two man stand. I am cold. I mean I am bundled up like that Jamaican bodsled team. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's me. I, I am cold. And I'm sitting there and it's about eight thirty. And I'm just sitting there watching, you know, just looking ahead and, and you know how you do you're looking around, looking around, nothing. I look back in front of me, there's a big old giant doe staring right at me. Locked in on me. Like, uh oh. And I got the muzzleloader sitting on the shooting rail, a two man ladder stand on, on the shooting rail. And I, and I have an either sex tag, actually, buck or doe, and doe. So I'm like, mm hmm. You fixing to go to South Carolina, little girl. 
and she is staring hard at me. Well, the sun's coming right over my shoulder, right over my head, thank goodness. So I can see it's blinding her almost, but she can see me. So I'm, I can't move because that silhouette really shows up. You guys know that. So I'm watching her, and then she looks over her shoulder to my right. And so I start moving my head to the right, and I see these big antlers coming through the woods. And I'm like, boom, boom, boom. you know, I get nervous. I'm looking. It's about 15 yards away, coming right behind me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm looking. Mo's loaders right here looking. And he looks at her, and she does that little tail swish. You know how they do. And what did he do? I'm like, dang it. So he bolted across the ridge. I spun and got on him, cocked my gun, put on shot. He was standing right behind a blown down log, probably 60 yards through the woods, and he fell. I was like, heck. So, muzzleloader. Do you guys hunt with muzzleloader ever? No. 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 <laughs> All right. No. This is good then. So I shoot loose powder in my muzzleloader. So I break it open, and, well, actually, I pour the powder down, get the bullet, shove it down in there. I break it open to pull the 209 primer out, and it won't come out. I mean, it's stuck. I'm looking over there. The butt's got his head up. I'm prying on this thing, prying on it, can't get it out. Get my knife out. I'm prying on the 209 primer, can't get it out. So I'm thinking, I mean, now I have flared it so it's sticking straight up. And I, I, I got nothing to grab on. So I start unscrewing the breech plug, set my gun down in the two-man ladder stand so the powder doesn't dump out unscrewed the beach plug. I'm trying to get it out and dropped it. Boom, boom, boom. Hit every rung of the ladder on the way down. <laughs> I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. So I'm looking at the buck. He's just laying there. So obviously I find him, right? He couldn't get up. Down the ladder I go. Find, go through the leaves, find the breech plug, put it in my teeth, get it out. Like, oh, get out. Up the ladder I go, put a new primary and screw it down. Get on the buck, I can see the whole back of his head, neck and head and upper body. So I can make that neck shot. It's only 60 yards, nothing to that. And I smoke everywhere, butt goes down. Whew. Thank goodness. What a fiasco that was. His head goes back up. I'm like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> I got one bullet left. Primer comes right out. Put a new primer in. I'm like, oh, I can't try it again from here because I only got one bullet left. So I get down and walk around. And I finished him off. My second shot hit his right antler. Oh, no. Knocked him out cold. So by the time I, you know, I got over there and it blew half of the base of the antler off. <laughs> it was still intact. Barely. Like maybe an eighth of an inch kept it in place. So if you, when you, I'll send you the pictures later. <laughs> you can see that whole chunk of antler gone. Right? <laughs> that that whole gun is shot. basically a safety at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if, if I didn't kill him now, I'm going to have to bludgeon him to death. That's all I had left. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, that's one of my favorite stories. That's because everything that could go wrong went, went, went wrong, and the guys who were with me said it was 13 minutes between shot one and shot two. That's how long I was fighting with that with that primer to, to get it out. What it the reason it stuck, a lot of people are saying, what gun did you shoot? Why did it stick? I think it was the moisture in the air made it stick. You know what I'm saying? Because the second one, because it had been in there for hours, right? But the second one went in, shot, came right out. So that's the only thing I can attribute to is it was probably had frozen in there from the, you know, probably I had moisture on my hand when I put it in there and it was so cold. It was in the teens that it froze in place. That's the only, that's the only thing we could figure out. As to, as to what caused that. So that's one of my favorite stories. As far as meat, I live in South Carolina, dude. There's not a lot of variety. We got whitetail and pigs. <laughs> well, how yeah. do you eat these whitetail and pigs? What's your uh, favorite one? Well, 
I killed a mule deer in Idaho years ago, and that was really, really good meat. That was really good meat. I processed my own deer here in South Carolina, do my own, have my own grinder and cubers and do all that kind of stuff. We have liberal limits. So people listen to this thinking, I can kill 11 deer legally in South Carolina, okay? Three bucks and eight does. And and I usually do that because i got a big family to feed, and we have a lot of deer. So I'll take two does and grind them in a straight hamburger, the whole thing. Yes, back straps and all. I know people are quivering now that I said I grind back straps, but I'm fortunate enough I can take a lot of deer. But as far as a favorite way to cook venison, canned is my favorite. I canned the venison, right? And then when I take it out of the canned and I put it over noodles or rice, that is my favorite way to eat venison. I think it is because it cooks in that pressure cooker and it just tenderizes it so well. When I'm canning it, you know, I just cut it in little three-quarter inch chunks and I put some Monterey steak seasoning, a little bit of onions that I grow, scallion type onions in there and and some salt and pepper and that's it. Not much salt, there's a lot of salt in the uh, Monterey steak seasoning, but that's it and I, and I can it like that and that is my favorite way to eat venison. It is. Y'all can your venison? I saw y'all shaking your head when I said that. We do a lot, and moose is probably my favorite, but we'll do a lot of elk canned as well. And I've yeah. told people, you know, I'll take a jar just cold up to the mountains if we're going scouting or firewood cutting and eat it that way. And it's it's decent, but by far yeah. my favorite way is the wife will make a shredded meat gravy. So she'll just make a brown gravy, oh. pour a can of that in the gravy, and take two forks and kind of separate it. And then pour that over the mashed potatoes and put, Mm. I I like asparagus, but you can do broccoli or corn or something next to it. And that's the whole meal. I grew up on that, man. My mom used to make elk. She would take it, chunk it up like you were talking about, put it in a jar, season it, pressure can it. She'd make mashed potatoes. We'd dump it on the mashed potatoes because she made it with kind of a gravy base in it. And man, that was a quick, easy, delicious meal. It it is. And that's what I take to my hunt camp. I have it. I have most of my canned jars there because, you know, it doesn't get dark at 8 o'clock here this time of year. You kill a deer this time of year, you're midnight still processing it. So I can just throw that in the pot, warm it up with some rice, boom, great meal, ready to go. What I've been wanting to try, I saw this on a, on a recipe book, is they make the whole stew in the jar. They put some little red potatoes in the bottom, and then they'll put some little onions and some carrots and stuff, and then the meat on top. Maybe it's the other way around. I got to go back and look. Denty Moore stew, basically homemade, that you can, I, I bet that's good like that. And I got to try that now. <laughs> You've inspired me, Pete. You inspired me. Well, if you get time, Pete, we have had Hank Shaw on here, and he's got a couple books, and he's he's a, you know, a five-star chef. I'm just a, a redneck chef. That, you know, I want it <laughs> yeah. easy, but I want it good. So what, his yeah. book is well, Duck, Duck, Moose? Well, there's Buck, Buck, Moose, Duck, Duck, Goose, Pheasant, quail, cottontail, hook, line, and supper, which is my favorite for cooking fish, but lots uh, of great um, ideas on how to cook fish. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look those up. Yeah. yeah. Well, as far as birds, I like a dove and woodcock as, as much as anything. A lot of people don't like them, but I like them as good as anything. I do. Yeah. Dave and I are parceled to our pheasants. <laughs> the pheasants are pretty But we don't have good. pheasants here. Uh, we don't have pheasants. <laughs> I've had it a few times, you know, the preserved pheasants that you shoot, but but I've had it a few times, but not enough to base an opinion on it. Have you had beaver? I have not. I know. A lot of people tell me it's really good. And well, I, I think you. I have not. My wife has because, you know, her dad has similar profession as yours, and, and she got mm-hmm. to try crock-potted beaver. And I'm, I've heard, you know, good things. I just haven't done it yet. I have too. 
a lot of people say it's it's really good, you know, but I've just I haven't tried it just basically because I just haven't taken the time to do it, to be honest with you. I'd have to try to find some recipes that I wouldn't even know where to begin as far as how to cook it so that it's good. Uh, I've skinned a God, thousands and thousands of them, and I keep looking at the meat saying, you know, it's not bad-looking meat right there. It's, uh, it's pretty good-looking meat, but I've never eaten it. Well, I did a small test in the Pacific Northwest with a bunch of carcasses when I had running a trap line, and I had skunks and possums and coons and coyotes and beaver and nutria, mm-hmm. and nothing will eat a raccoon or a coyote. It's just going to sit there till it kind of melts and goes away. It, but the the beaver and the nutria... Yeah, they're they're gone the first night when you put them out there in your carcass yeah. pile. The, the skunk well, a lot and of the bear possum. baiters use beaver. Yeah, a lot oh, of bear yeah. hunters use beaver meat for bait. So you're right about the raccoon. I just nothing. Even the bugs are, are like, okay, if there's nothing left, <laughs> I guess that's it. But you know what's odd? Okay, I'm a really pretty good meat market on raccoons here in South Carolina. I can sell the the, the carcasses way more than I can sell the fur. Hmm. Quicker, faster, and $15 a piece. How are people cooking them? I've heard crock pot. I've heard roasters, you know, slow cooking mostly, stuff like that. But I can't, I love to, like I told you, probably love my turkeys, right? So I trap coons pretty hard to protect my turkey nest. And every coon I can I can catch and skin, I get, I wad it up into a ball, put it into a bread shack, freeze it, and average $13 a piece for them, depending on how big they are. Wow. 13, say from 12 to $15 a piece. So that's good gas money. For trapping season. Well, I'll it caution is. anybody that wants to eat pork, bears, raccoons, cook them thoroughly. There's something called trichinosis, and they all are very plethorable in those species for sure. And we do have feral hogs here, as I said earlier. So I, that's one of my favorite things to hunt here in the South because no one ever said you should have given another year. On the <laughs> no one ever says that. Just They're like, why didn't you shoot it? Yeah. <laughs> why didn't you shoot it? I got some big ones on my cameras right now. And I, that's what we can hunt them year round. There's no limit. If you get them, you get them. If you don't, nobody cares. It's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. I uh, shoot them. I like to hunt with handguns as well. As I've gotten older, I've, I'm switching from archery to handguns, big revolvers specifically. And as I've written about it, guys, I say handgun hunting is very similar to archery hunting. It's just a lot louder. <laughs> it's a lot louder. You got to be close, relatively close, you know, 50 yards and in. You got to really execute your shot, trigger, trigger squeeze, being really still. So focus on trigger control and, and follow through is essential. You're not going to hit it. I mean, you got an eight-inch barrel at the best, and so it's it's very very similar to the same rush I get bow hunting because it requires all those things. I got to be close, I got to be still, I got to be stealthy, and I have to really focus on executing the shot. Unlike with the rifle, you still got to focus, but it's a lot easier with a rifle. With the handgun, not so much, and and I really enjoy it. I really do enjoy the handgun hunting. Is that legal in Wyoming? I'm sure it is. Yeah. I think it is. You just have to have the right caliber. It's just like any place, you know, they have caliber restrictions. So I think as long as you have the right yeah. caliber, you can do it. I think my 460 would probably qualify. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to put myself on the spot. I know for deer and antelope, it's 22 caliber, and I believe it's 24 caliber for elk. So 243 and 223 are legal minimums for rifle yeah. calibers, but pistol can be, you know, your 460 rolling or 480 or 454 yeah. would be legal for elk. And then you got to be in that 22 caliber for a deer and it's got to be a center fire okay. 22 caliber not a rim fire yeah a lot of the handguns now use the rifle cartridges 
They're not just your typical pistol cartridges or handgun cartridges. They're the tapered case instead of the straight wall case. So I don't shoot those. I'm 44, 454, 460. That's that's what I stick with. So that'll kill everything. Here in Wyoming, they make the 500. Wyoming Arms makes the yeah. 500. And I've never shot it, but I've heard a lot about it. I've shot the five, the Smith & Wesson 500. I haven't shot the Freedom Arms 500. It's a lot. It's, I, I did it at SHOT Show last year, and uh, I shot it twice, and I was done. That was enough. <laughs> I that saw was Alaska. Enough. A couple guys were packing that around, and I'll be quite honest with you, uh, a 500 Smith & Wesson, you know, a pistol is going to weigh five, five and a half pounds. My Tika T3 Superlight 30-06 weighs five and a half pounds, and I'm much more lethal at 600 yards with my out six than you are with your 500 <laughs> Casul or Smith & Wesson. Absolutely. I will Absolutely. say for, for brown bears, 100% bear spray is is my go-to. I actually pack two cans, and then I've, I'd say, downgraded from a 44 mag to a 10 mm. But why? I'm typically backpacking lots of miles in, and an auto feeder 10 mm is going to hold 15, 16, 17 rounds. I pack hard cast bullets because you, know, you get six tries with your revolver, and I get 17 tries with my with my plastic gun. So, but that's a good point. That's a very valid point that you're making there with the 10 millimeter and multiple rounds. If you can put rounds on target, it, it will do fine. And I'll be honest with everybody listening out there that thinks they're old Johnny on the spot, quick draw McGraw. <laughs> that bear's going to be on you before you even get the the holster unclipped. So you bear spray if you're if you're going into something hairy. And then once the bear's on somebody <laughs> and the bear it will not leave after bear spray's been deployed, yeah, I'm switching to lethal. I'm going from less lethal to lethal, and we're going to have 17 tries to get the job done. So the buddy system is the smartest thing to do in grizzly bear country by far and yep. two's kind of minimum three's way better you you hardly even need bear sprayer pistols when you got three guys the bears automatically go the other way 90 right. percent of the time yep that, well that's good to know because i haven't hunted in grizzly bear country since alaska and uh, that's really good to know about that so i'm gonna be bringing bear spray and I, I i got a buddy coming with me so we'll be together the whole time just so make sure you can run helps. faster than him pete <laughs> oh, I, I'm 10 years older, but I can trip him. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a question for you. Looking yep. ahead, what are the goals? What are some aspirations for Christian's Outdoors podcast? And then, you know, as an author and an outdoorsman, just, just your, what's in the future? What's on the horizon? What can we expect? Wow, I didn't see that one coming. And it's something I ask myself a lot. It's uh, where do I want this to go? Uh, relate through Christian Outdoors is is reaching people in a way that is life-changing, that is at least making them think about where they are in their life. And that, you know, I know guys that are hardcore hunters, hardcore fishermen, they fish every Sunday morning. They go hunting every Sunday morning if it's legal. And I, I'd like for them to just hear us and say, you can love both passionately, but the priority needs to be right. You can, you can love your hunting and fishing with as much passion as you can, camping, backpacking, whatever it is. But God has to come first. It has to be God, family, work, and then the things that we enjoy. And I hope that by talking to all these people and interviewing and having these conversations that I can help these guys and gals that are struggling with that, that it's okay to love both. It doesn't make you a weak man to be a follower of Jesus. It makes you a godly man to be a follower of Jesus. It makes you the kind of man that you want your children to be and the kind of man you want your daughters to marry. We are the example for our children. And I, w I couldn't imagine what it feel like to say, I, I want my daughter to marry somebody completely not like me, right? I mean, I want her to do better than that. But if I can say, well, I've tried to raise her in a way where, or them, 
in a way where they understand that God comes first and then mama and then them and then work and then so forth. I hope Christian Outdoors is a, is a place that people can come and, and get that as well as get the good fun, fun conversation and be entertained by guys who share the same passion and, and who love the outdoors and, and love Christ and aren't, and aren't afraid or ashamed to talk about it. And also what I'd like is, you know, I do these, these speaking events around the country and doing things and, and that, but that person is much better than a microphone. I love being there and shaking guys' hands and talking with them and hearing about their hunt and about their, uh, about their catch and, and just spending that time with them, you know, breaking bread and eating, eating together and then get a chance to present the gospel. I love that as well. So I'm, I, I'm really uh, hoping and praying that that's going to grow a little bit so I can do more of that just because I like to, I like the interaction with the audience. Which we don't get talking to Mark. As far as the as far as the writing goes, I have another Christian book that I'm working on, and the teaser is it's called The Making of a Disciple: How to Become the Best Follower of Christ, and it's a step by step process on how to do that. And I hope to be finished with that sometime in early 23, and get it out in 24 or 24 in early 24. This is already it's almost all. Well, would you share the statistic of church attendance? I know we covered it on your podcast, oh, yeah. but I, I'm, I think that it really drives a message home. It does. It does. And that's going to be one of the key things I talk about this week up in Clare, Michigan is, guys, if you're listening to this, any, any man listening to this, I want you to house who is being the best role model for your family. You got to take them to church. The statistics don't lie. If dad is a believer in Christ, his family is 93% more likely to become believers in Christ. If the mom is a believer and dad's not, it's 17%. And as dads, one of the things, you want to protect your children, don't you? You want to take care of them. If anything were to threaten your children, you're going to do whatever you can to protect them. You're going to stand between that bear and your child. Even without your 10 mm or your bear spray, you're going to do whatever you can. But what are you doing to protect their eternity? What are you doing to protect their souls, not just their bodies? What are you doing to protect their eternity? That's the question every dad needs to ask themselves. And the simplest thing you can do to do that is to take them to church. Just take them to church. There's no excuse. All right. I've heard all the excuses. You guys have to. It's too hot. It's too cold. I only get one day a week off. God only had one day a week off. Or that goes right. Made the word the world in six, rest in one. If I go there, they'll burn the place down. You know, I've talked so bad about the church, I can't go there. Those are excuses. And I've told my children this for years. There's excuses and there are reasons, and they're not the same. If you can't cut the grass because it's too hot, that's an excuse. If you got a broken leg, well no, that's the reason. Okay? If you gotta work on Sunday because you're a cop or a doctor, you got a reason you can't go to church. But you don't work every Sunday. That's your shift that week. Next Sunday you're gonna be off in church. Get rid of the excuses, guys. Godly men don't make excuses. Godly men don't make excuses. They they model what they want their children to be. And if you want your children, if you care about them, you care about their eternity more than anything else. And that starts by taking the church and showing them by your actions that I'm trying to be a better man. I'm trying to be a better father. I'm trying to be a better husband. This is who I want to be and what I want for you. So that's more than anything else. I want men to see. And I say that because more men listen to the show than women, right? I mean, we know that. I want men to see that to be a godly man, 
and to be an outdoorsman. It's not a competition. And I've heard, you guys have heard it. I can worship God in the tree stand. I can worship God on the lake. I can worship God. You know, I'm better. I can get closer to God out here than I can in that, in that with those bunch of hypocrites. That's an excuse. I enjoy God on the deer stand. I enjoy God on the mountaintop. I enjoy God on the lake. I do. I get close to him there, but I don't worship him the same way as I do when I'm with other people who are all striving to become better people. I mean, church is for the broken. It's for broken people get healed. It's for a bunch of messed up people. I'm the worst sinner of all. What Paul say in Romans, I am the worst sinner of all. Pete, I'm right there. I, I, I try, but I carry that flag. David and I were on a competition on that the other day. I'm the worst sinner, right? I know that, but I'm trying to do better. So don't let sin get in the way. I mean, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall, and fall short of the glory of God. But in Corinthians tells us that my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient and my power is made in weakness. And I think too many guys let their pride get in the way. They let their pride get in the way. And then Proverbs tells us that pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride is a trap. It is a trap. Godly men are humble. We don't let pride get in the way. Our pride is reflected by what God has done for us and, and in us and through us. It's nothing that Pete has done nothing to make Christian outdoors what it is other than sit behind his microphone and be real with people. That's all I've done. God has done all of it. God takes whatever we do, what, what you guys are doing, what I'm doing, and he says, I'm going to put it out there, and the right person at the right time is going to tune in, and they're going to hear it. And that's what we have to do by being obedient and trust that. Well, how do people get in touch, follow, find out more? Where, where can they get all these resources you've talked about between the books and the podcast and getting you to come do speaking assignments? Where, where, where do you want to send them? ChristianOutdoors.org. Really simple. ChristianOutdoors.org. My email is Pete. That's P-E-T-E. One syllable, that's all I can handle when you stutter. <laughs> I love that one. That's a good joke. Right? Uh, Pete at is my email. Email me. I get a lot of emails from people saying, Pete, I don't understand this. You talked about this in that show. I answer every email I get. I take time every day and answer email I get, and I try to do it within 24 hours of getting it so that people aren't, aren't waiting and wondering. Email me at Pete at ChristianOutdoors.org. You can go to ChristianOutdoors.org, and, and my, my books are there, and my hats, my shirts, everything that you want to know. If you want to book a speaking engagement, you can do it there. For our 200th episode coming out, we're doing a big giveaway. And on my website is where you register for it, ChristianOutdoors.org. It's right there on the homepage. You can't miss it. Big, big blue letters, stuff, and saying, fill this out, and you're entered into the giveaway. And we're giving away a whole bunch of stuff to celebrate our 200th episode that, that we do a live on Instagram drawing of everybody that has entered into the drawing. We do a grand prize in a second. In a, that sounds like fun to me. I think, I think David said he was going to contribute a guided elk hunt. That was a bow spider. Yeah, that's right. It was a bow spider. I think you're confused. No, that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Throw me under the uh, bus. You haven't seen my guiding <laughs> skills yet. <laughs> no, I haven't. No, I haven't. It's been a pleasure. We're going to end the show. That's been awesome. It's been real. We'd love to have you back on in the future. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, 
and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at ragcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>